certain creators need to make an affirmative declaration of fair use to say, yes, I am using this underlying IP, but I am adding extensive commentary and I'm transforming the nature of this thing. And I am not usurping the original purpose of this movie or TV show or, or, or um, song and make an affirmative declaration to then give the creator the benefit of the, so, of the so doubt. So you're saying even like at the upload, they're saying uh, this is a song that's in it and I'm using it and we're doing it for fair use. So it's just basically a part of the process of the upload? Yes, exactly. And it could that would be, actually be brilliant. Yeah. It would, you could actually even use the exact same options that you get when you have to fight a copyright dispute. In this episode, we're talking with Devin Stone, the creator of the YouTube channel Legal Eagle. As a successful litigation and trial lawyer who received his law degree with honors from UCLA, Devin spent his time working on several civil and criminal Ninth Circuit appeals and drafted positions of published opinions. Devin's true passion is helping people understand the law, and he grew his YouTube channel from 10,000 subscribers to over 500,000 subscribers in just a few months. This is Creative Disruption, the intersection where entertainment, data, and creativity meet. Here's your hosts, Ricky Ray Butler and Daryl Leaves. Welcome back to the Creative Disruption Podcast, where we talk about everything that's disrupting the industry, and I'm joined by my friend, Ricky Ray Butler. How are you doing, Ricky? I'm doing fantastic. Well, let's... I'm glad to be here again. Again and again <laughs> and again. It's, I, I always like hanging out with you. I don't know why that is. I wish I could say the same. (laughs) I see how you are. I see how you are. Well, Ricky. I was joking. No, you never joke. You're always serious. (laughs) But uh, there's a couple things I want to go over. And and I think this this, uh, discussion that we need to have is how naive creators are in the industry when they first come in. There's There's a lot of smart creators coming in now. Uh, but for years, we've witnessed a lot of people coming into the industry that are a little naive on sure. what to do, what not to do, and so on and so forth. What would what's one of the biggest blunders you've seen a content creator make, you know, and just kind of almost tank their whole career? Sure. Um, there's a couple different things, but I'd say one thing that that people you know need to develop. Um, when they get into this space, especially as they start growing and gaining momentum, is to be very careful who you trust <laughs> and, and trusting everything that you hear. <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many horrible contracts I have heard of that creators have gotten themselves involved with. Whether it's you know, you know, working, you know, you know, with with with, with television or being like a YouTuber joining an MCN. Right. Um, there, there's just horror, a lot of horror stories that can happen in entertainment. There's a lot of sharks out there, and and you have to just make sure that you know you're navigating everything and and making good friends that you can trust that that can help you with the process. Yeah, I I think for me is the um, a lot of the creators they don't treat it as a business. They're like, hey, you know, I'm creating content. I'm a creator. I'm a know? celebrity. I'm a celebrity, <laughs> and and then the views die. What's bringing the ad revenue in? And they're like, oh, I'm back at McDonald's flipping hamburgers. Not that's a bad thing, you know. So, but, right. But, but when no, you have, but, but this is one of those things I think. I mean, have been pretty common in the last ten years, where people have become really big when it came to, you know, in, like influencer standards, you know, like, you know, like let's say five, six years ago, and then where they just tanked and they've had to look for other forms of revenue. Right. And, and, or I, I do know someone that, um, you know, was a mentor to a lot of the earlier, you know, OG creators um, that now, you know, occasionally works at Target. 
yeah. um, or, or works in a retail or, you know, has had to move out of L.A. and gone back to where they're from and, and have had to, you know, find a day job. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, that's one of those things that people wouldn't imagine would happen, but it happens everywhere. But it, this is not new. This happened in the 70s. It, it happened definitely in the 80s. Yep. You know, you had a lot of those, you know, hair bands that made millions of dollars <laughs> and, and, and made a lot of, you know, had a couple of good hits. they're still on tour. You can see them at Target. They're on tour. <laughs> or, no, they ended up having to go yeah. get a day job because they couldn't. Um, they, they they couldn't you know run their business in a very effective way. It's not about just being famous. It's about having a business plan and a and vision, creating a brand, and and, and then creating a brand exactly, and something that's going to self sustain over time. Yeah, and I, I I'll, I'll tell you one of the main reasons um, why I started Vid Summit. Vid Summit is a conference I put on every year, but the, one of the main reasons why I did that is I had so many creators reaching out to me and says, "Help, you know, like I can't even make rent now, um, you know, because of some change in the algorithm." I'm like, dude, like. I know how much money you're making and I don't know why this didn't click, you know, like, aren't you reinvesting and aren't you building, you know, something a little bit more tangible than just taking a paycheck. And I, this is a frustrating point, but a lot of people feel like they're just a subcontractor of, of YouTube or whoever's paying them. I'm like, no, dude, like you're your own IP, your own brand. You know, you need to, to build out from there. And that's one, probably one of the main reasons why I did that is I've seen so many people just super disconnect from that and they don't really see the true opportunity. And a couple of cases that I've seen that have been very sad, um, and, and I don't see it as much today. I think across the board, um, people have become a lot more knowledgeable of what you know the creative space is and that it is literally building your business and making sure you have things covered, et cetera. But you know, early on, um, there were a lot of you know these creators that started YouTube channels or these other you know ways of, of streaming their content where they were making a lot of money, but they weren't paying taxes. <laughs> and, and sometimes these were kids that still lived at home with their parents. They're like, hey. And their parents didn't know what they were doing. They just knew that they were making money, and they weren't paying taxes, and they got, in, you know, tr you know they, they got a couple of letters and um, pretty bold notices from the IRS. Right. Then you have, on, on the flip side, some really good creators that realize, oh, this, this Lambo is actually a prop. <laughs> <laughs> and you can write that sucker <laughs> off. <laughs> but anyway, I know we could go on for this for a very, very long time. We can, and we can do it from there. But um, really, really excited about our guest today because I'm gonna before we kind of introduce him. Uh, one of the biggest issues that that creators make, um, and and especially early on, is what 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 is copyright? Like, what can they use? What can they, can't they use? I mean, I even have bigger YouTubers. It's like, oh, I just got demonetized because I used this this meme in there. I'm like, why did you do that? <laughs> it's like we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars was lost because you you had this like two second clip. In the last two years, it seems like there's been a lot more drama around. That oh, as there's well. so much drama. Yeah. But do you want to introduce our guest? You know what? You go ahead. You know, oh, he's I a, get to do Devin's it. a good friend of All yours, right. and All right. you, you know, you can give more context, so, etc. So we have <laughs> the YouTuber Legal Eagle with us, and I'm really excited. Devin Stone is actually the creator behind that, but he's also worked in litigation for quite some time. It, it, you, you still have your law license, I, I do. Would assume. Yeah. And um, just happy to have him on. When I um, discovered, well, not discovered, but when, when we uh, crossed paths, uh, Devin uh, was just about to really have his channel explode. And it was just grateful to, to be a part of a little so, bit of so that. So you met him two years ago, I'm assuming, or a year and a half ago. It, it, it's been a year. About a year. Yeah, so about a year. What's amazing is, you know, last year, you know, you got past 10,000 subscribers and now... 
in less than a year or a little over a year? I mean, you have to tell me you're now over 500,000 subscribers. I'm just about to hit uh, 500,000 subscribers. See, see, this is blowing my mind because this is such a niche topic. You know, I, I don't think it's niche, well, though. Well, well, if you look but at anyway, if well, you look at Devin's content, well, wait, it's wait. not it's not it's not very niche. Like he's <laughs> applying it to a lot of different right, things right, going right. on. But you know, you know, like the, the the topic of you know you know legal or law, you know, yeah. that is something that's you know very specialized and niche. And and you know, if you would have told me that there's gonna you know like five years ago or like ten years ago that there's a a, a lawyer that was building an audience and making interesting content around legalese and different laws out there and and averaging over a hundred thousand views a video, I would have said, ha, whatever. Well, <laughs> and, and and where if, we are. If I may respectfully disagree. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the part of the, the mission of my channel is to help people think like a lawyer and to help demystify all of the laws that are around us every single day. And and you guys talked about some of the examples of that that are just invoked simply by virtue of being a creator on YouTube and something that seems like it can't possibly involve legal issues. <laughs> They're all over the place, and they're, oh, they're trying to the It's all over all the drama, for <laughs> sure. It is so bad. You can literally create a drama channel now and, and just apply Let, it to Let's just stay away legal issues. Drama has ramifications you don't want. And, and <laughs> you know, you have to be, you have to be uh, careful because your ignorance of the law is not going to protect you if you run afoul of it. So you can't hide your head in the sand and just say, oh, well, I'm it's not like, going to pay attention to it and hope <laughs> that things are going to work out. That's how lawsuits get started, is people aren't thinking about about all of the illegal implications of their YouTube channel or their business or, or any of the things that we do on an everyday basis. So, so Devin, give us some background uh, for the listeners and viewers of this podcast. Like, how did you get started? Like, what you know? How did it all work out? You, you know, it started back in high school. Uh, <laughs> um, I was given the choice uh, for my senior. English project to either write a long essay or to do a video uh, presentation. And me and my uh, three best friends said, to heck with this Amazing. essay issue. <laughs> and we ended up spending the entire senior year of high school working on a video that turned into a 45-minute parody of every English book that we read that year. Oh, that's funny. And, and I think we did the calculation, and for every finished minute that we had in the video, it ended up taking us 20 to 30 hours per person to get that done. Now, when I went to law school, I never thought that that was ever going to be something that was relevant to my vocation, but after practicing law and litigation in Los Angeles and Washington, D.C. for over 10 years, uh, I, I got the itch to be a creator as well. And I, I started with making videos that were laser focused on law students because uh, I, I did pretty well in law school and I wanted to make sure that, that everybody else that was going through law school didn't have the hellish experience that you always hear about <laughs> and you, you see in Legally Blonde and things like that. And I wanted to make sure that they had uh, some, some tactics and some strategies to do well in law school. And then uh, after about a year, I had crossed the 10,000 subscriber mark of almost exclusively law students. And, you know, I felt like well, that's I was pretty impressive, though, too. I, I mean, I, I was I was very, very happy many with law that. students that are actually in the United States. I yeah, mean, it's just really <laughs> exactly. small market. Sure. And, and so after a year of laser focusing my content, I think I had maybe one or two videos over 100,000 views, which I thought was spectacular. Um, and this was uh, totally unknown to my firm at the time. I didn't want to make the, the two. <laughs> 
and uh, worlds clash, uh, I started uh, focusing on more general interest things like um, educating people about legal issues in the news and reacting to portrayals of lawyers in movies and TV shows and explaining when the, the, the TV show is completely inaccurate, when people are making an objection to leading during cross-examination, when that's <laughs> all cross-examination is supposed to be. And so almost a year to the day that we're recording this is the day that my channel popped. And it went from basically 15,000 subscribers, if that, to over 150,000 subscribers in a matter of four weeks. That's amazing. And then now we, here we are, uh, almost 12 months later, and I am just about to cross the 500,000 subscriber mark. Yeah, and how many wow. views? I mean, because you, you, you had some videos get several million views. Like, what, do you know what your collective views for your channel is? Collective views is somewhere around 35 or 40 million. Yeah. Yeah. And what, like, I've been able to actually peek into his analytics. I can sure. do that every once in a while. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. This, this, this was news to me. Uh, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Have you, Come on. Have he given you permission? <laughs> well, California has very strict invasion of privacy laws. Oh, Daryl. We, we, we worked together a little bit. But what, what was really impressive to see um, something that you thought was never possible. Yeah. Never possible. You know, you wouldn't think in a million years, but you, you look at... Well, I'd expect a niche audience. Yeah, but, I mean, but, but, but you look not, at not, all the, not that big of an audience. But you look, I'm talking about like 10 you, years ago. You look at all the people that watched Law & Order. Like, mm -hmm. I don't even know. How, how long has Law & Order been on the I think, TV? Like, I think almost 30, 30, 30 years. 30 years. Yeah. yeah. Like in suits and all these different law shows. And they're really, they're really fascinated with law. And then... Devin's taking it up a notch and you're getting him. Not only that people that are generally interested, but I, I can, I can attest that the biggest growth, uh, for, for Devin was not necessarily on YouTube. But it was on, it was on Reddit and Reddit kind of, kind of, uh, played that seed that came into YouTube and the YouTube started to promote it out to more like-minded people. That, yeah. that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, it makes sense. Like, you know, these types of topics would be really popular on Reddit, but I think another thing that, I mean, one thing that you'd probably have to look at of why it's been this successful as well is the education vertical on YouTube has right. been exploding for the last three years. You have, you know, the Vsauce channels, the ASAP Science, um, you know, uh, you know, game theorists. I mean, there's a lot of different education, like, you know, channels out there, and a lot of them are becoming a lot more um, specific to different verticals. And looks like, you know, you're you're the one paving the way for um, for legal. Yeah, kind of absolutely. Content. And and that is one of the ways that I, I look at my channel. I, I consider myself an educator. I you know I always wanted to be an educator, and the 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 tentpole videos that deal with the really popular movies and TV shows are the things that get you in the door. But I think the things that keep you on my channel is the fact that I'm going to teach you about the law itself. It, my my quote reaction videos are <laughs> less my reaction than me actually explaining the law itself. Uh, you know, it's not going to be um, a sensational me, oh, laughing all the time. It's, it's going to be me explaining to you why this particular thing is accurate or, or why it's not accurate. And how many laws they broke during the process. And how many laws <laughs> Batman and Willy Wonka broke in their various movies. The child, right. the child labor laws. That, that was that the funniest. Exploded. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, one did, that one did pretty well. And, and you know, uh, th that's so, some of the, the video series that I have on the channel. And then others are more news-focused and trying to explain 
you know, why politicians did the thing that they did or why the Department of Justice has done this specific thing or why the Supreme Court cases is important. And I look at those videos as being a, uh, in opposition to the sort of screaming talking heads that you see on cable news, where it's just someone spouting off from the hip with this insane opinion and it has no legal basis. Uh, and I think uh, part of the value that, that I, I want to give to people is to give an explanation in an even-handed way, in a neutral way, that you can trust that I'm, I'm not going to take sides for the most part, and I'm, I'm going to tell you the law as it is, and, and you don't have to worry about me screaming into a, a CNN or Fox News camera right. for, for hours at a time. <laughs> have you been asked? Or, I, mean, I, mean, I, mean, I think those, I mean, CNN and Fox News would probably take a long time to catch on what you're doing, but... I, they're they're I, a little it, slow on it, the uptake. It, it, it'd be interesting <laughs> to see if they'd ask you to come on as a guest and comment on on different you know legal issues that are out there. Uh, not not cable news. I've I've had some TV overtures. Uh, you know, CNN and Fox News put out a quality product, and I would be more than happy to to <laughs> stop. I know. I but uh, <laughs> well, no, no, well, no. I mean, I think that's just going to naturally happen as you just keep growing. I yeah. I, I I'm not sure that I'm particularly interested in that because I want to make sure that that uh, you know I have the ability to have the creative control to, to educate people um, about these laws because, as, as we talked about, it, it, they're just everywhere. And unfortunately, if you, if you screw them up, the consequences can be, can be quite dire. Sure. If you don't mind me asking, um, what's your demographic breakdown? Like, I mean, who, who's following your content? Like, how old are they? Uh, at the moment, it is pretty heavily sort of 20 to 35, uh, skews a bit male. Um, and seem to be, from what I can tell, I mean, obviously YouTube doesn't give all of the demographic information, but reasonable young professionals and, and, uh, some, I think middle-aged professionals as well. It's interesting though. Um, <clears throat> one of the main things that I know you look at, I look at is the type of engagement mm -hmm. from the audience. So you, there's a lot of, a lot of videos out there on YouTube that will actually get the views. But they don't have the 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 volume of engagement and comments and having that interaction even within like a thread that's going on. What I've been kind of blown away by is the engagement on his videos. And we're not talking about <clears throat> people that are just making comment. Oh, this is a good video. Um, Devin has a, a strategy where he says, "Hey, if you disagree with me." Go ahead and object. Put it in, you know, your objections in the, you know, the comments yeah, below. Yeah, that, that is a thing on the channel that yeah, you shouldn't comment. You should object. <laughs> exactly. And if you leave your comment in the form of an objection, I'll be more likely to respond to it. it overrule. He'll overrule yeah. it. And then, too, then, then he has a dog that is the uh, the mascot of the channel. The, the, legal, the legal beagle. Stella the legal beagle. And she's not a beagle, beagle. either. <laughs> but anyway, what I'm getting at is... There are legal discussions that are happening in the threads of that video, and there's debates that's going on, and it's like really, really engaging. You have some that have thousands of just different responses within one thread. And so it's just, it's crazy. You yeah, have, I've, I've been incredibly impressed with the level of discourse in my comments. Everybody talks about the, uh, the dumpster fire that are the comment sections exactly. on occasion. But I, I, first of all, uh, having the power to overrule or sustain objections is, uh, <laughs> it, it'll make anyone drunk with power. <laughs> but uh, I think people appreciate it. And I, the, uh, people come for more level-headed discussions. And uh, it, it shows in a lot of the comments 
sections, yeah. and it's been great to. It's, it's also great fun to just read through what people think about those things. And, and what I like about it is how you're trying to take an unbiased approach. You're saying this is just the law, you know. This is what it is, you know. You can debate with yourself, but this is the law, you know. And that, that's what I love too. Um, let's switch gears because, sure. like, um, I think a big topic at hand, and it's been. Uh, in a lot of, of creators' minds of all the copyright issues that are going on. Um, and and I, think, I think in general, um, it's something that creators should be concerned with um, just because there's a lot of different ramifications that they don't even know about. Um, do you want to just take a minute and, and talk about maybe two or three different um, issues that creators face using, you know, with copyright law? You know, looking at the YouTube ecosystem in general, one of the things that leaps out to me is is sort of the the manifest inequality between creators and a lot of the people that own some of the underlying IP that often gets used on YouTube. Because there's a, there's a whole system of people who are commenting on things that have a copyright, or there are creators who want to include songs in their channels. And uh, on the one hand, I would say that uh, there's a an inherent unfairness in that the studios and labels have an army of attorneys who do nothing all day but look for videos to demonetize and it's not really demonetized from their end they're just taking Demonet the money from yeah, the exactly. creators uh, and uh, you know on the one hand the, there's the the creators who don't have uh, that kind of, uh, of support or knowledge and you know on top of that creators often don't know ahead of time uh, what is okay to include in a video and uh, on the back end if they do get a claim made against their video they don't know know uh, what is the, the right way to fight, and they don't know uh, if they should fight in the first instance. And one of the amazing things about YouTube is that we've created this system that is not copyright law per se, it's just this weird quasi-legal <laughs> system that YouTube has created to, you know, it came in the wake of the 2007 Viacom lawsuit, uh, where Viacom sued YouTube for violating copyright for hosting pirated videos. And they created this system that allows the, uh, the rights holders to claim videos for copyright infringement, and then the money just goes from creators to the studios. The thing is, the creators may or may not be infringing copyright. There is a fair amount of copyright infringement that's out there, but the studios and labels are a hundred percent happy with this agreement. This of course. is, the, you know, they're, they are. Yeah, there's are, no recourse. They just said, oh, this is ours. And they can manually do it too. Yeah. And it's just like, what can you do? And you they get paid literally billions of dollars per year by taking the money from creators and just pocketing it. And there was no license agreement there, and there was no discussion of whether they were allowed to do it in the front end. But it, you know, in some ways, it's great because the creators are allowed to put videos out there. It may uh, it may technically be copyright infringement, but often the video gets demonetized, and the the studios and labels then are able to have a revenue stream from them. And in some ways, creators are a little bit protected in the sense that someone doesn't have to file suit in order to to get that that money stream because the transaction costs are too small. But it is this this weird 
quasi-legal system that exists only in the world of YouTube. <laughs> and uh, it's going to, I think, I, I, I don't think it's sustainable. I think. Uh, we, I, I think it's at a breaking point right yeah. now. I really do. It's like content creators are getting a little bit more um, edgy. Yeah. And they're, and they're getting a little bit more uh, uh, knowledgeable. Um, and they're ready to, to take some action. But two, uh, in YouTube's defense, like, like it is so complex with everything that's going on, what being, what's being uploaded. They do have technology now to really, um, they've always had the content ID, but they're getting a lot more sophisticated with the, um, with the AI. The big thing though, is, uh, when someone does a manual claim, you know, YouTube just made it available. It's not across the full platform that they're actually doing a timestamp, which, right. which is kind of one of those concerns. Like, where did I violate copyright? Right. Law? It, like, it was completely insane that someone could file a manual claim against your video, and you don't have the ability to have a granular rev share. So for the most part, it is, oh, there's a half a second of music in your video. I get all of, of your money, as right. all of your AdSense. I mean, that in, in and of it's itself ridiculous. was crazy. But on top yeah. of it, you could say that there was copyright infringement going on and not even tell the creator where this underlying copyrighted material was. Yep. So I, I am very glad to see that, that YouTube is heading in, in that particular direction. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's going to be enough. I think we have seen time after time of creators who were doing videos that are what I would consider as, as a lawyer, com complete fair use to be protected by copyright law. And there is a claim made against them. And because of really scary language in the content ID system, they, they don't fight these yeah. things. Yeah. So like, let's just make you the czar of YouTube just, okay. for, a, just for a minute, just okay. because we can do that. Right. Especially hypothetically. So what would you do to change it? Like what, what are some of the things that YouTube could do right now to fix it? Ooh, this would be a good topic for a video. <laughs> it really would be. <laughs> Real Lawyer explains how to fix the YouTube system. Exactly. Uh, so th I think there are a couple of things that are, are relatively low-hanging fruit. One is that uh, I think there needs to be a difference in the way that certain channels are treated. If you have one subscriber and no history on YouTube, then I'm not sure that that particular channel needs to get the benefit of the, the doubt when it comes to being able to upload things. But if you have a long history of uploading content uh, in, in a way that is legal, if you have one every copyright dispute that you have uh, had to deal with, that might create a presumption in favor of your channel. And I think that there needs to be different tracks for different creators. And I think uh, one thing that would help with that is Maybe there's a, a subscriber threshold, but I think that certain creators need to make an affirmative declaration of fair use to say, yes, I am using this underlying IP, but I am adding extensive commentary and I'm transforming the nature of this thing. And I am not usurping the original purpose of this movie or TV show or, or, or um, song and make an affirmative declaration to then give the creator the benefit of the doubt so that when the you know, let's say, let's say uh, a music channel like Adam Neely or 12 Tone is putting out an analysis of a song. They're saying, I am using this particular song. And if that publisher then comes around and says, uh, no, 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 that's copyright infringement. We're going to demonetize you. So, so you're you. saying even like at the upload, they're saying, uh, this is a song that's in it mm -hmm. and I'm using it and we're doing it for fair use. So it's just basically a part of the process of the upload? Yes, exactly. And it could that would be, actually be brilliant. Yeah. It would, you could actually even use the exact same options that you get when you have to fight a copyright dispute. YouTube gives you, 
uh, seven or eight little radio buttons that say, oh, I'm using this content because I own the CD, or uh, I'm not using it for a commercial purpose, which by the way are total red herrings. They just include them to trip up creators. Uh, and then you have lower down the options to say, uh, this is okay because it is considered fair use or it's in the public domain. Well, why can't we flip that around and say, as a creator, I know that I am using underlying IP. I mean, personally for myself as a as a attorney who comments on legal movies and legal TV shows, like I know I am using someone else's copyrighted material, but uh, the Copyright Act, uh, 17 USC 107, fair use says that I have the right to make these commentary videos. And I would be more than happy to make a declaration that says, I am going to use someone's IP and it's okay and uh, and flip it around so that I don't have to deal with uh, potentially having a video blocked for weeks right. or have it demonetized for weeks. And and they did a, a pretty good job in the sense of, hey, we'll hold the money, kind of be an escrow until you kind of sort things out, you know, go from there. But yeah. the issue is there's always a workaround and there's always things that's there. But the thing that would always uh, get my goat, because that's what they would do is get my goat. But it, it was like, you're always guilty 100% of the time. Right. And it's just like, how do you how do you even escalate it? And these creators, like you said, are really frustrated and they're like, oh man, oh, this is really legal talk. I, you know, I can't even right. hire someone, can't even do that. And they're really, really scared. So what do they do? They delete the video. And as far as I can tell, right. yeah, right. Yeah. And as far as I can tell, there are no legal repercussions to the big companies that will levy hundreds of thousands or millions of copyright claims a day. And Maybe not the majority of them, but a lot of those are not proper copyright claims. So, right. that, and that's been always my big beef: is yeah, three strikes and you're out, and they'll the terminate creator. your creator. But what about the person that's actually doing these bogus, right. you know, claims? Like there needs right. to be a slap on the wrist. Now, uh, YouTube has made a public statement saying yes, there is ramifications, and there are some MCNs that are now no longer. Uh, associated with YouTube or any, they're just totally disconnected from it uh, because they were abusing that that portion of it. But still, all in all, it's it seems like it's just more. Hey, we're erring on the side of of the the so called copyright holder, even if they're not the copyright holder. Right. So, have there been situations where people have claimed or flagged your videos? Every single one. Every <laughs> single <laughs> one. Almost, I think almost every single review slash reaction video I've ever done has been claimed by someone. And, and so what, what is usually the step-by-step -step process that you take I mean, that I guess other creators could learn from? Yeah, well, at this point, I just look at it as sport. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's great and, fun. And, and you know like, all hey, the laws. I mean, you don't I mean, know who you can you're, you're very informed, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you know details that others don't. I, I, I'm not locked in here with you. You are locked in here with me. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, I did a search uh, fairly recently to see how some creators have, have dealt with them just as a point of comparison, because I, I started doing it just the only way that I knew how, which was as a litigator. And... I, w I was shocked to see that when people are given the option to sort of include some of their rationale, they, they add one word uh, to, to each thing. You know, explain why it's fair use, uh, transformative. Oh my God, uh, you, you've got to do more than that. So, <laughs> um, so what I do on the front end, and I actually have a disclaimer in all of my videos that explains that they're all fair use, and I have two citations to some really good court cases out of uh, New York and California. And and if uh, there are creators out there that that want uh, a. a a good summary of what the law of fair use is. All they have to do is take those citations. One is the very famous H3H3 H3 Hosenseida oh, versus Klein case. 
And uh, parenthetically, uh, Ethan and Hilla Klein really did creators a favor by taking that case to the mat because they did make law and really clarified things in a way that is very good for creators. So, um, so I would I would look up the two cases that I cite there as a, a background for fair use. Um, but I basically write legal briefs. Uh, I have by this time done this so many times that I have a template that I use and. When you fight a dispute, that's the first level of the content ID system. You're given one of those boxes, those HTML boxes to include as much as you like. Most people write a few sentences. My dispute, I think, is 500 to 1,000 words. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> um, and it, I, I look at it as a summary judgment motion, and I put my best uh, arguments forward. I explain step by step uh, all of the fair use factors, why it applies, uh, why my video is considered fair use. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think uh, rights holders tend to take the disputes very seriously. I think a lot of it is done algorithmically, a digital fingerprint sort of thing. So uh, a lot of times, even though I sign it, Devin Stone, Esquire, attorney at law, uh, there still are a fair number of disputes that um, that go to the next stage, which is the appeal stage. And when you check the box for fair use, uh, it will say, OK, you said that this video is fair use. Explain why. And all it does is track the statutory language. So it sounds very stilted. It doesn't make any sense. YouTube is not doing creators any favor to explain what they need to include. But they then give one of those HTML boxes for each of the four fair use factors. And I wrote my brief, as it were, in Word. And it, depending on the video, it's 10 to 15 pages long. And I just copy and paste each <laughs> relevant section into each of the boxes. And unfortunately, YouTube strips away all of the formatting. So when I submit the thing, it is one solid text block that is 15 <laughs> pages long. That'll teach them. Yeah. I mean, you know, I feel bad for the, the poor sap that has to read my, uh, my response. But, you know, it, it's done on purpose in a way that... Uh, is uh, is accurate from a legal perspective. It's persuasive from a rhetorical perspective, and I, when, when whether a, it's a lawyer that reads my response or whether it is just some poor guy earning minimum wage dealing with YouTube disputes, I want them to know that I am very serious when it comes to those things. And I, I want my response to be different from all of the millions of other disputes that are disputed on a daily basis. And I would say Have that- Have you lost an appeal yet? Never. Never. And, and what's the next step after that? After you deal with the appeal is the DMCA takedown stage. And what's interesting, you know, we talked about this weird quasi-legal system that YouTube has created that the uh, studios and labels absolutely love. Well, that ends at the appeal stage. When you get to the appeal stage, uh, the, the rights holder does not have a choice but except to release the claim or to file a DMCA takedown, which is... Uh, a legal notice that is set by law. Uh, we're now entering into real copyright territory. This is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And at that point, uh, if they file a DMCA takedown, YouTube will take down your video. They don't have a choice. And they uh, will also issue a copyright strike against you. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of people, a lot of creators freak out at that stage and they will just simply delete the video. And while that's not necessarily the worst idea, it does leave the copyright strike on your channel and three copyright strikes and, and you're out. But there are real legal repercussions that can flow 
to the studios and labels that file a DMCA takedown with YouTube. And they really don't like to do that um, because they can be on the hook for attorney's fees if, if people do take them to the mat. The, the instances of people doing that... And are you just waiting for that to happen? You're just like, okay, I can't wait. <laughs> I, I've, I've only dealt with one DMCA <laughs> takedown, which, uh, which I won. Uh, and uh, yeah, fair warning to the next studio You're or like label I, that issues one. <laughs> I, I'd love to go after them and take, actually, take my attorney's fees. I, that needs to be a little serious on your channel because that would be fun to watch. Oh, you for know? sure. Okay. Like it's behind like, the like, scenes. No, no, no. It'd be like Matt Lockheed. Yeah. Like, we're going to solve this. But well, no, that'd be awesome. Well, that, that'd be a good idea to like, <clears throat> be, I mean, yeah, like it'd be great to, for, you know, creators to have that type of support and help. Like, I, I mean, I, I, just knowing like your step-by-step -step process would be very enlightening. Because because I, I doubt people have a template. No, well, here's here's the thing about it is where do they even get the template from? Like sure, you know who's actually studying law on this? And it's so complex. It's so I mean, like you said, YouTube's a weird beast. It really is. And how do you know what to do? And it's just like I, I just tell my clients just avoid any appearance of anything. You know, I mean, you're, you're like, clients that are creators. Yeah, yeah. I'm like just like. Like, don't use music unless you own it. You know, don't like. There's a lot of different things that you know. I try to try to instill on in them because it's just so complicated, and it can get can get uh, where it takes a lot of time out of creators' lives when they want to just create content, not not fight some dispute. And, and the stakes are incredibly high. Uh, I think most creators don't quite understand that because they've been lulled into a relatively false sense of security based on the YouTube system. Right. A lot of my legal career has been spent litigating actual copyright claims that involve actual copyright infringement. And by way of example, one of the last copyright cases I handled, uh, I was representing some actors and directors in some movie studios, uh, and uh, a screenwriter filed suit against them claiming that they uh, released a movie that infringed on the screenwriter's uh, copyright in, in, a, in a screenplay. Uh, we felt that the lawsuit was meritless and we were successful in that respect, but we ended up getting our fees from the plaintiff. So imagine you're a plaintiff, you uh, are trying to um, stop people from uh, infringing from your IP and you think the worst case, that, the worst possible thing that could happen is the case goes away and gets dismissed. Not true when you're dealing with copyright. Often co uh, attorney's fees are on the table and we won $320,000 in attorney's fees from the plaintiff. And I've, I've dealt with other copyright claims where someone included artwork without permission and we ultimately recovered hundreds of thousands of dollars because of this copyright infringement. I, the, the stakes are higher than people recognize and it's it's all the more reason it's crazy to to think that you can go alone or that you can really even get away with uh, not including uh, copyrighted material because say you're walking down the street and you happen to walk by a cafe that's playing a song on the radio, if that gets in your video, that's considered copyright infringement and you thought you were doing everything reasonable. You weren't purposefully including things and and don't even get me started about the meme economy that we have <laughs> where people are using animated gifs or or short clips for the the mimetic reactions and i think copyright law is going to have to change when it comes to those things but as it stands uh, there are all kinds of legal landmines for creators to have to deal with let's um let's take a step back uh so you, you talked about h3h3 
and how he kind of paved the way. Could you kind of bring people up to speed a little bit what actually happened there? Yeah. Because I think I think that's really important. I think that'll lead into some really interesting discussion. So uh, that is one of my favorite cases. Uh, it's not my favorite uh, copyright case, but it is definitely in probably my top five. Uh, e- Ethan and Hilla Klein, the creators behind uh, H3H3 Productions, known for their commentary, uh, did a review of a very, very cringeworthy video called Parkour Guy, I don't know, Stocks uh, Workout Girl or something like that. It's a, it's an eight-minute video of, of just cringe-inducing video where a, a guy basically stalks a woman on the street. And I guess it's done for comedic reasons. Um, if I was that creator, I would not have released that video, but <laughs> creators come in all shapes and, and sizes. Um, so... Uh, H3H3 Productions does a 15 or so minute video where they basically watch that video from start to finish and uh, comment uh, extensively on the video explaining how cringeworthy it was and and how you would not want to be the woman that was being stalked by by this this guy. And the guy who released the original video did not like the criticism. And so he filed a DMCA takedown and eventually a copyright suit against H3H3 Productions claiming that it was not fair use for them to comment on this video. Wow. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, you get lawyers involved and the stakes immediately get raised. And so they went through the YouTube system. They took it to the the lawsuit stage and they uh, the, this guy uh, filed suit in New York federal court. Uh, H3H3 Productions then uh, reaches out to the creators out there for support and they start a, a Indiegogo or a Patreon for their legal defense. They went through $100,000 in legal fees in the first month. Whoa. Wow. But they, they, they toughed it out. They brought it to a stage that is, for all intents and purposes, it's a, it's a motion to dismiss. And copyright law is uh, good in the sense that often the only thing that matters is the underlying copyrighted material and the sort of overlying copyrighted material, the commentary that's on top. So it usually doesn't have to get to a trial. Usually you can deal with it on paper and say, and I've done this a lot, you know, judge, just look at the first video and look at the second video and make a judgment call on which one is uh, legal and and which one isn't. And so that's what they did. And they took it to a motion to dismiss or summary judgment. And uh, the judge, as a matter of law, looked at uh, H3H3 Productions video and said, this is fair use as a matter of law and does a really good summary of what fair use is. There, there are four factors for fair use. Uh, the first one is that it has to have a, a transformative purpose. In other words, you can't use the underlying work for exactly the same purpose as it was created. So often that means you're adding extensive commentary or in the case of parody, you are parodying the work. So you are making a social comment about that work. You're criticizing it. Like we want people to be able to make movie reviews. We want people to be able to comment on newsworthy videos. The The idea behind US copyright law is that we want to incentivize more speech, add to the marketplace of ideas. Um, and, and that's in contrast to say satire, which is just using a copyrighted work to make a social comment, generally speaking. That's not okay, generally speaking. Um, but if you're parodying or commenting on uh, the underlying work itself, and you're making a message about that work, that is that is often okay. the the other two the other three factors include 
the nature of the copyrighted work, whether it is factual or dramatic, whether it is published or unpublished. The third factor is the amount that you have used. So for it to be fair use, uh, you have to only use the minimum amount necessary. Now, obviously, there's going to be some some leeway there. Courts don't like to say, well, you could have used less and let's let's say you publish an entire two-hour video and, and then at the end you say, oh, that was good. That's, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, that, that almost give certainly, a review now. <laughs> that, that is certainly commentary about that video sure. or movie, but you have not used the minimum amount necessary. Uh, and then the, the fourth factor is the market harm. Have you usurped the market for that thing in a way that is not um, allowed by law? So... The law doesn't recognize harm from the criticism itself, but if people say are going to listen to your song instead of the original song, that cuts against an issue of fair use. And all of these factors are weighed. So there is absolutely no bright line that says, oh, well, if you check off these two factors, it's fair use. Uh, you know, it is a balancing test. <laughs> and so uh, to go back to H3H3, they uh, they took it to the mat, they took it to the judge, and the judge weighed the factors and did a great analysis of the commentary that H3H3 added to the video, said it was fair use, and now that is a, a district court case in the Southern District of New York that... Um, because it's a trial court, it's it's not um, mandatory authority, but it is very, very persuasive for any creator out there that is doing commentary on YouTube. That is a huge win for the community. Like, I mean, that, that's that's really exciting because it's now you know passed in court, and so for future issues, people can always reference you know that 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 ruling. I I still think that we're in the wild wild west. I don't know if that's what you feel, but like for me, it's just like. We really don't understand just with the way that technology is emerging, you know, how laws of the past are actually being used now. And I, I feel like it's still the Wild Wild West. I mean, you look on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, TikTok. I mean, there's a lot of copyright issues that are just occurring at a, at a very rapid rate. And there's nothing that they're doing to counteract that. I mean, nothing noticeable. Oh, 100%. And you can tell every time that YouTube uh, updates their content ID algorithm because you get a slew of people on Twitter and Instagram that say, oh my God, these, this video that is three years old has been demonetized out of nowhere. Yep. And it's because the technology is getting so good that it can recognize all of these, these different songs and, and videos well, that are being used. That, that or uh, someone that owns those IPs are able to connect to the server. They, there's ways that they can have remote right. servers saying, hey, this is all our, our content. Like NBC is not going to upload all their content to YouTube just to do the claim. So they actually have servers that they can connect to. Is it, oh, no, this is the same ID. This, we own that IP and mm -hmm. they're able to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, and there are all kinds of copyright myths associated with that, too. I can't tell you the number of creators that have said, oh, if I only use three seconds of a song, then I'm, I'm protected. And it is absolutely not the case. There is no three-second rule. There is no five-second rule. Tell, tell that to a creator that just got 30 million video views on his video. I guess it wasn't 30. It was like 15. But um, And it was the three-second meme that yeah. he put in there. Like, why? Why yeah. would you do that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and on top of that, you know, it used to be in, in the old days that you could change the pitch of a song or you could compress it and do all these little sure. technological tricks and often you're doing it for a good reason if, if i go back to the the music education channels they're 
actually explaining the chord progression of a song. <laughs> and the only way you can do that is by using the song itself. And they're using the minimum amount necessary. And they would, they would change the pitch and they would change the things simply so that they wouldn't have to deal with the hassle of the content ID system. They would right. win the content ID claim, yep. but it's a whole nother level to just have to deal with that, especially when you're putting out multiple videos a week. Mm -hmm. you know, we have seen creators get hundreds of claims you know, in an instant like that. And often what I've seen studios and labels do is that when they see a popular video that includes some copyrighted work, they say, huh, I'm going to claim that one, but now I'm going to go check out all the other videos that exactly. this creator has. And that is how you get hundreds of claims all at once. And, you know, there, there are other uh, copyright myths that feed into this as well, such as the idea that if you're not using the recording and you have a song and you play it yourself and you sing it yourself, well, well that's not copyright infringement. I, I didn't use the recording. We, we, we had a, a YouTuber that someone in the background was just reciting the lyrics of a song and wasn't singing it, whatever. Mm -hmm copyright claim like wow. that. And yeah. so, and it is, I mean, like that, that is the copyright. That, well, so. there used to be a lot of, you know, music parody uh, creators out well, there. Parody, a lot of, parody's uh, different though. Well, yeah, parody's different, but, but still there, there was a lot of music parody creators and also a lot of just cover creators. And that's a, a that's a bit of a vertical. that slowed down quite a bit. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and the cover is, that's where it's the biggest risk, right? Because, you're singing somebody else's thing and you're monetizing off of it. Yeah, I, I believe YouTube has a system that works with the compulsory license that deals with uh, cover songs because there is such a thing in the copyright law that allows an artist to do a cover without getting permission ahead of time and there are statutory fees that must be paid and I believe that YouTube has built that into the system. They have, they have, yeah. But, uh, you know, for the most part, you, when you don't, you just don't use, make as much money as other creators, right? Right, and, and for the most part, when you do these things that are not using the actual underlying recording and then just doing your own or you know singing the chorus with your buddies, technically, what you have done is created what's called a derivative work. And people think about copyright law in terms of, well, I'm not going to literally copy and paste the copyrighted work into the video, uh, but really the, the the bundle of rights that you get with a copyright include the ability to make adaptations and derivatives. So to turn a book into a movie or to turn um, a, a, a magazine article into a longer form essay or to take a book and make it into a condensed version. These are all, all derivative works that only the original copyright holder can do. And it's a real trap for people to think that just because they are not using that MP3 or using that WAV file that you know is obviously copyright <laughs> infringement, you can still get into trouble with that. I've seen a number of creators do that. It's so complex, Ricky. I, I don't even know if I want to deal with it. <laughs> no, there's just a lot going on. And it's like um, when, when I really cut my teeth in audience development, I was working with some musicians and I got to know copyright law really, really well in a lot of different aspects and know the different types of copyright or I'm sorry, um, um, basically law that's dealing with um, with music in general. And it's, that's a lot more complex because you know, there's a lot more hands in it and there's a lot more, um, um, precedent, you know, I yeah. guess over, right. over the years. And, uh, what I found though, is I tend to stay away from clients that, that deal with that. I just like, for me, it's just like, it's too much work. It's just like, you know, cause you, you can get nailed by all the, all the labels and everything from there. And then you have to fight that. And that takes so much time. And it's just like, ugh. 
Yeah, you know, well, it's frustrating. I mean, that that is one of the more insidious uh, repercussions from this is the self censorship that goes on. Whether yep. it's thinking that you know you can't uh, be associated with that kind of thing, or whether it is the individual creator who refrains from making a really great video because they are afraid of that. Um, that's you know we'll never hear the bell that didn't ring, uh, and and that's a real shame. And, and music is it can be in, incredibly complicated. Uh, one one of the the worst things, the, the the saddest examples that that I've seen recently is a couple of creators who included a song in their outro music. So it was in basically every video that they did going back years. Oh, We're dear. talking hundreds of videos. And and they did the right thing. At least they thought they did the right thing. They got a license from the musician. The problem is the musician illegally sampled an, a different song in oh, the song that they licensed no. to the creator. So when their channel <laughs> oh, got tagged wow. to, the, to the tune of hundreds of claims, Technically, the studio was right to do it because they did not have all of the rights all oh, the way down. Rough. And and what you know, what do you do as a creator when you're in that situation? Luckily, YouTube, YouTube is, can edit things out now. That, now <laughs> they can. Goodness. You know, as of today, they say they are going to uh, increase the suite of tools that are available in the right. editor to edit stuff out after it has been published. But beforehand, a lot of times you were just absolutely screwed, and it's it's terrible because that creator did everything right and your, your heart just goes out for these and because people. they had the wrong team or somebody made a mistake that's, yeah you know they've been screwed yeah. over yeah oh man that's tough that's this rough. is depressing I mean, <laughs> yeah well i mean you know, you know as we like wrap up i mean th this is something that's very complicated and, and it's obviously complicated for a lot of creators and there's probably a lot of creators that just give up and don't try to dispute claims etc um, I mean, what what is this some like you know high level wisdom that they should just look at and just be aware of, just to make sure that everything in their overall business is being covered? Hire a lawyer, some sort of legal eagle, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> Wait, no, uh, are you you looking for work? <laughs> uh, sadly, I'm, I'm turning away clients. Um, you know, a, a pound of prevention is worth. I'm sorry, an ounce of an ounce of prevention <laughs> is worth a pound of cure, and if you're in doubt, you can find attorneys who can help with these sorts of things, and uh, you can do things on a, a flat fee. There are people that, that uh, you know, are building a niche practice dealing with this kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, the, the old wisdom of just avoid copyrighted stuff entirely probably doesn't work anymore just because it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, my advice is, uh, you know, do your homework at least make a good faith effort to try to understand what the law is. And when you, uh, when you think you're in the right, you should fight it because I'm, I'm tired of seeing creators getting bullied around, um, by these big corporations. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll just have to see how this, this, this shakes out in the future because I, I think it's untenable with the the amount of false claims that are made, uh, and I think that that something is going to have to give, and YouTube is going to have to choose the side of the studios and labels or the creators. I think they have for the last ten years they've been on the side of the labels. Yeah, they've yeah. Been, I would say that their track record is not for the creators right now. Absolutely. You know, it used to be, but once I mean, pretty much the the Viacom lawsuit and you know the things that they had in place is like no, they're more. 
afraid of all the legal ramifications on that end. So that's like, oh, okay, it's just easier to do that. And there's a lot of people that are left in the wake. I mean, they're literally left in the wake. And it, it's sad. It's sad, especially when it's dealing with people's livelihood. And they, they're in the right, you know. And so, no, I would definitely really appreciate you coming on and sharing this. Now, I know that you have uh, some resources for creators um, that are becoming available. Yeah. So, uh, you know, on, on the topic of creative disruption, credits roll, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I've uh, been somewhat uniquely situated as an attorney first and a creator second. Uh, who looks at this whole system through the eyes of of a trial lawyer and a civil litigator, and uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, there probably are not a whole lot of creators that can afford my hourly fee. But I, I have spent the last few months writing somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 100,000 words uh, on, on, on a system to, to help creators. And, and so I, I created a, a website called uh, copyrightcourse.com that is going to be a system for creators who find themselves either wanting to know what the limits of the law are, or if you have a copyright claim against you, knowing not only whether you should fight it, but how to fight it. So Use this it. is going to be specifically for creators. It is. Yeah, we're going to start with YouTubers specifically because that's it's uh, the ecosystem. That, that's where we're that, at right that, now. That, that's mm -hmm. where we are, and that I mean that's my my favorite video platform of of choice, um, and. Uh, it, it, it's taking my 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 years of legal practice and condensing it down into a form that other creators can use when they have to deal with these things. And you know, so much of my channel is focused on uh, helping people learn how to think like a lawyer. And and the copyright course is going to help them fight like a lawyer because I love it. I'm I'm tired of people getting bullied by uh, corporations that basically have uh, unlimited resources. Uh, and not only that, they make a profit on the backs of creators. And I just want to give creators the tools to be able to deal with it on their own. Um, and it's, so it's, it's going to be a, a, a course and a system uh, using the templates that I have created that can be customized for the individual creator, depending on the channel, depending on the nature of the defense that they are using. Um, I, I, you know, a lot of it focuses on fair use, but I, I've actually, I think, created some, some really interesting and potentially uh, groundbreaking defenses in terms of uh, what's a legal defense called de minimis use, which is uh, something that is so minor as to be uh, not uh, considered copyright infringement. It's something that not people are really talking about, but I think that it is something that uh, applies in the YouTube system. And so, so I just want to give, give creators the tools that they, uh, they need and that they <laughs> deserve to fight these, these kinds of, of things for them so that the community can, can grow and thrive and add to the marketplace of ideas with more videos and more commentary exactly like the Copyright Act was in, intended to do. So that's copyrightcourse.com. Copyrightcourse.com. All right. And thank you, Devin, so much for coming thank on. Thank you if so much. Like, Legal seriously, Eagle. if there's anyone watching here from YouTube, like, that works and employed by YouTube, listen to what he said in this, this video, because ultimately the system needs to be improved and updated. And he had some really, really good ideas. Thank everyone for watching. And make sure you subscribe, follow, and we'll see you on the next podcast.